relationships are so important to the Lord. In fact, his relationship with you was so important that he went to the cross and he died so that we could be reconciled. He went to the cross to reconcile the world to himself. And you're a part of that reconciliation. And he wants the relationship between you and him to be right. He wants it to be good. He wants it to be a uh, a joyful thing. And he wants our relationship with each other to be the same way. And yet there's so much, so much, just, I don't know, what, what would you call it? Just uh, antagonism in the world today, I guess you might call it. So much adversarial uh, opposition one to the other, us against them, me against everybody else. Just so much of that going on. In his book, The Preaching Event, John Claywood or Claypool tells a story about identical twin brothers who never married because they enjoyed each other's company so much. When their father died, they took over his store and ran it together in joyful collaboration. But one day, a man came in to make a small purchase and paid for it with a dollar bill. And the brother who made the sale placed the dollar on top of the cash register, and then he walked the customer to the door to say goodbye. And when he returned, that dollar bill was gone. He said to his twin brother, did you take the dollar bill I left there? And the brother said, no, I didn't. I didn't get it. And the other brother said, surely you did. There's nobody else here in the store. And the brother became angry. And he said, I'm telling you, I did not take that dollar bill. And from that point, mistrust and suspicion grew until finally the two brothers couldn't even work together. And so they put a partition right down the middle of the building and made it into two stores. In anger, they refused to speak to each other for the next 20 years. Then one day, a stranger pulled up in a car and he came into one of the two stores and he uh, spoke to the brother that was in that store and said, have you been in business here long? And the, the brother replied, yeah, 30 or 40 years was the answer. Good, the stranger said, because I very much need to tell you something. 20 years ago, I passed through this town. I was out of work. I was homeless. And I uh, jumped off a boxcar. I had no money. And I had not eaten for days. I came down that alley outside. And when I looked into your store window, I saw a dollar bill there on the cash register. I slipped in and I took it. Now, recently I became a Christian. I was converted and I accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. And I know now it was wrong for me to have stolen that dollar bill. And I've come to pay you back with interest and to beg you for your forgiveness. 
When the stranger finished his confession, the old storekeeper began to weep and he said, would you do me a favor? Would you please come next door and tell that story to my brother? And of course, with the second telling of that story, the two brothers were reconciled with many hugs and apologies and tears. 20 years of hurt and broken relationship based not on fact, but on mistrust and misunderstanding. But then healing came and reconciliation came because of that stranger's love for Christ. Now, you see what happened with this stranger whenever he came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Before anything else, he was convicted of sin. And he could look back and he could see all the things that he had done wrong in his life. And he didn't want to be like that anymore. And so he went about to make amends wherever he could. And I want you to see that this one man's willingness to be obedient to Christ and to do what he knew the Lord wanted him to do made a difference for the good in the lives of two that he had destroyed for 20 years. We have ripple effects. Our lives touch other lives every day. A little thing, swiping a dollar bill doesn't sound like much, but look at what it did to two lives. And how many more lives, how many cousins and all involved in that family were touched to the bad or to the ill because of one man swiping a dollar bill? Doesn't have to be that way. Our world is littered with broken relationships. We have them in our families between husbands and wives, parents and children. We face them between employers and employees, with neighbors, different ethnic and social groups, between nations. All around, we have just one broken relationship after another. Don't you know it grieves our Lord's heart? Before he went to the cross, he bowed and he prayed for his disciples and said, Father, may they all be one. May they get along with each other. He prayed that just as you and I get along, Lord. Father, I want my disciples to get along like that. He wants you to get along with each other with all the people around you and with all the people in your family. And all this starts in the home. And and we all have messed up relationships in our homes, if we're honest. In a relationship that's broken, what gets the ball rolling? Have you ever thought about it? Who? I know you've thought about it. You're thinking about it now. Who takes the first step? Even as I've been talking, you've been thinking about, oh, there's so-and-so. Oh, man. Am I going to have to, you know, I know know that's been going on in your head. So just want to get down to it. When a relationship's broken, 
What does the Bible tell us about taking the first step? Well, Hebrews 12, 14, we've read in 15, we read it earlier, but we can read it again and again and still get more from it. Pursue peace with all men. Who's that talking to? That other person? Not if you're the one that's reading it. Not if you're the one that's hearing it. Who's that talking about? It's talking about you and it's talking about me. We are supposed to pursue peace with all men. It doesn't mean we're going to treat everybody right that treats us right. It means we're supposed to be trying our best to be at peace with everybody around us. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many are defiled. Coming short of the grace of God. You remember in talking about forgiveness, Jesus tells the tale of a steward that was forgiven a tremendous debt and then he wouldn't show grace to somebody that owed him $20. Do you remember that? Okay. If we've been shown grace, what the Lord is saying here, among other things, is that we need to show grace. And we can't, we've talked about this before, you can't be receiving grace if you're not given grace. Okay. Next, okay, so in that passage, pursue peace with all men. Who's supposed to get the ball rolling? Who's supposed to be first? Let's say it. Me. Me. I'm supposed to get the ball rolling. All right, listen to this one. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come present your offering. Who takes the first step? If somebody, if somebody has something against you, who takes the first step? Let's say it together. Me. We take the first step. We don't wait there for them to come and confront us. We go because we don't want to be pushing them and provoking them into anger and into sin or to continue in it. Okay, so here's no. So we've got two that say uh, it's up to us. We're supposed to get it started. Here's another one. Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Okay, so now then, first of all, in Matthew uh, 5, it's talking about if you have offended somebody else. Now it's talking about if someone has offended you. So if someone's offended you, who takes the first step? Me, right? Okay, it says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses that things are confirmed. We've read three scriptures now where the onus is on us. 
It's always our, our, our relationships or our responsibility. It's up to us to do what we can. It says, as much as it lies with you in another place in the Romans, be at peace with all men. As much as you can, you're supposed to be bringing about peace, not picking fights. Not sitting back sulking, waiting for somebody to come and grovel at your feet. That's just not the way it works. Okay, and whenever Jesus is talking about this, if you're coming to make your offering, that is a, a major deal to go before the Lord and some of the Pharisees and scribes and, uh, I almost said hypocrites because he always says, you owe you scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. But anyway, before the scribes and Pharisees, so many of them, uh, they made a big deal out of their giving and out of bringing their offering before the Lord. And, uh, he's saying, if you're getting ready to do that, before you go and put on your show of how religious you are, if you want to be doing this for the Lord, you take care of the stuff between you and that person that you offended first. Then you come and do your religious stuff. And he's saying it's much more important to our Heavenly Father how we're getting along with each other than what sort of show we put on in front of him. And so, and you know, that's kind of for years I have served churches that were fighting the what they call the religious wars. Uh no, 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 it's the worship wars. That's what they call it. Are we gonna have a traditional service or are we gonna have a uh what they call it, a contemporary service is the name they use now. Are we gonna have are we gonna have a blended service? And people would just duke it out verbally over that. Uh, and, and not even get along with each other in church over what sort of music we're going to be singing, what sort of worship we're going to be doing or how the style of it. Uh, people would be ugly with each other about it. My goodness, they'd be upset and ugly with each other. Oh, what color flowers are some going to be at something or, oh my goodness. I remember First Methodist Houston downtown. Uh, they were renovating. And uh, one morning, uh, uh, Dr. Charles Allen was talking about how things were coming. He said, the carpet's going to be green. It's going to be green. No discussion. It's going to be decided it's going to be green. Because everybody was just all over the place about what color the carpet was going to be. So we've got to nail those things down. That's fine. But anyway, people get ugly about religious stuff, don't they? But God could care less about the religious trappings if our hearts aren't right with each other and with him. And if you don't have a right heart toward him, we're going to see in a minute, you're not going to have a right heart toward others. And you can't, that's one of the ways that you show you have a right heart toward him is how your heart is directed toward others. So, uh, in fact, this is something that goes from way deep in the Old Testament up through the New Testament. What Jesus is talking about, about uh, whenever you're making your offering, if your brother has something against you, you go to your brother, get it right. Listen to this from Isaiah, 
some 700 years before Jesus came along. At that point in time, the Jewish people were in a bad spot. And they were saying, we're God's people. We're the chosen people. Why is, why is it God answering whenever we're praying? What's going on here? And God sent Isaiah to tell them this. Is it a fast like this which I choose? A day for a man to humble himself? Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Now listen to this. Is not this the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. People were busy accusing each other of uh, not being religious enough. They were busy uh, uh, just uh, pointing fingers at each other and being ugly with each other. And they weren't doing what the Lord wanted more than anything else. And he goes on. He said, Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into the house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. That means hiding out from your relatives, not have anything to do with your relatives. Then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer, you will cry, and he will say, here I am. He said, if you want the Lord to be with you and to manifest his presence in you and among you, the first thing that you need to do is get things straight with each other. And then he goes and he says, if you do that, then everything's going to be really good again between you and me and for uh, your well-being, and for your whole land. Then he says, if, this is the proviso, if you remove the yoke from your midst, putting heavy burdens on other people, uh, remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, I don't know how many times I've had uh, somebody quote the, fly, the, the, the thing about it. If you're pointing a finger at one person, there's three pointing back at you. For some strange reason, they say four a lot of times. I don't know where they get that from. But uh, I guess they're doing their math and said five minus uh, one leaves four. But uh, anyway, so it, it winds up being there's three pointing back at you. And so many times we go around blaming everybody. We go around pointing fingers at what everybody else is doing wrong instead of taking care of our own stuff. You see, it's a it's another way of what Jesus was talking about when he said, first get the beam out of your own eye so you can see the speck in your brother's eye uh, clearly. 
And so uh, uh, all of this, what Jesus is talking about, Isaiah had talked about 700 years before. The pointing of the finger, the speaking wickedness. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will arise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bone. In scorched places. We need to take this to heart today, don't we? Because we're in a scorched place right now. So he's talking to us. That's just a sign. This word is for you this morning because we're here in a scorched place and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So he's saying, if you want to show me you really love me, start taking care of the people around you and start taking care of your relationships in the right way. Instead of just blaming and accusing and fault finding with all those around you instead start seeking peace so uh, uh so we've got all of that going on and uh i tell y'all i gave y'all a handout i gave you a handout and it's about steps to healing in a relationship we talked about forgiveness last week And that's at the heart of uh, healing in a relationship is forgiveness. And uh, these steps I've developed through the years in working with couples whose marriages were just falling apart, of uh, people who just didn't think that their uh, marriage could ever be what it should be. I don't know how many times I've had people come in just devastated, because their spouse they discovered was being unfaithful to them. And uh, I have taken people through this process and seen them walk out holding hands in church on Sunday morning and getting along just fine. When you put the Lord first in your relationships, relationships can be healed. Any relation, I think I'm a firm believer that any marriage can work If both people are willing to work at it. And that means, first of all, putting the Lord above themselves and above each other. Putting your spouse on a pedestal and worshiping your spouse is going to bring you to a bad spot. Uh, But putting him where he belongs on the throne of your heart. If both of you do that, then when you go through tough times, you have a great and wonderful counselor to go to and he'll fix things for you but it takes both of you going to him together but uh, the steps in healing in a relationship between people in a marriage or in a between uh, uh, just a couple of uh, relatives or uh, friends whatever relationship it is brothers and sisters in Christ whatever it is It's the same steps that we go through in being reconciled to God and coming to him the first time. And then whenever we mess up, 
and we have to come back to him and say, we're sorry. It's the same process on all these different levels. So first going through it quickly, just looking at it from the standpoint of ourselves and the Lord. First step is repentance. Uh, now repentance, you got to repent before you can be forgiven. There's so many people just want to claim the forgiveness and not ever repent. But repent, you can't even begin to uh, confess until you have repented. And uh, in Matthew 3, 2, as things were just beginning, as Jesus' ministry was first started, and saying, repent, think differently, change your mind regarding your regretting your sins and changing your conduct, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the Lord's first message publicly. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn around. Be sorry for what you've done and change your mind about it and decide you don't want to ever do that again. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You should be seeking reconciliation with others, just as Christ sought reconciliation for us. Next comes confession. Uh, repentance has to be communicated. You have to say it out loud. And then for, whenever we confess our sins to the Lord, he'll forgive us. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then forgiveness is given. When we repent and we confess, the Lord will forgive us. And, uh, and Isaiah says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. He wipes out his sins for his own sake. He forgives you for his own sake. Remember, we're talking last week about how forgiveness isn't for us, when it comes to us forgiving others, it's for our own sake. Well, that's why the Lord does it. He doesn't like remembering your sin. He doesn't like, he doesn't want to be one that sits up there. Oh, there's another against you. One more, you're going to hell, man. You know, it's just not like that. It's not, that's not him. That's not what he wants to do. Forgiveness is given, then forgiveness has to be received. There's so many people, they don't realize they've already been forgiven. And the good news to them is that it really happened. Jesus did this for you. But until it is appropriated, until it is applied personally to what we have done and that what we're feeling so guilty and so bad about and what's just eating us up on the inside until that's taken care, until we apply it and say, it's gone. It's forgiven. It's been cast away as far as the east is from the west. Whenever that happens, then we're free. And it's much easier for us to forgive once we've been forgiven. And that brings us back up to the top where it says, just as in Christ, God forgave you. So forgiveness is received. 
And then from that point on, we're supposed to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Listen to what uh, it says in Acts. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. There is evidence of repentance. That's what we're calling fruit worthy of repentance. So those are the steps that are taken. Now I want to go back and apply those to uh, an individual relationship. There's so many different kinds of uh, hurts that we can inflict on each other. Sometimes it may be just an, a thoughtless word. Sometimes it could be a word that's, that you've said that's taken wrongly. Sometimes it's a bad joke, let's face it. Something that you thought was funny and the other person, it hurt them deeply. It can be all sorts of things. Things from horrendous acts of infidelity to just a snarky comment that winds up hitting someone where it hurts real bad. All these things all along the way can cause a rift, a tear in a relationship. And this is how that relationship can be mended. First of all, you've got to realize that you've done something wrong. First of all, you've got to admit that you've done something wrong. And you've got to be sorry that you did it. And, uh, and then from there, healing can start to take place. I've shared with you about the friend of mine that, uh, he, uh, went out, uh, shopping with his wife. They were building, they were building a new house and they were out buying furnishings. It was time to work on the bedroom. And, uh, they went in and, uh, they were looking at, uh, at beds. They came across a round bed and his wife said, I've always wanted a round bed. And he said, well, I'm not sleeping around bed. And at that moment, it's like a stone wall went down between the two of them. And she said, you always get your way. He came to see me because he hadn't fig- he'd figured it out yet. He didn't know what's, I don't know what's going on. All of a sudden she won't talk to me. She won't, and, uh, she just huffy and all, you know, and, uh, didn't know what was going on. And so I got him to recount whatever he thought it started. It's about the round bed. And, uh, I said, so was she right? Do you always get your, I said, no, man, I let her, she do anything she wants to, unless it involves me. Then it's going to be the way I want it done. (laughs) And so I had to rephrase that and say, okay, so if it's something that's important to you, then y'all going to do it your way. Well, yeah. And he caught himself mid-sentence. And all of a sudden he realized he was guilty for years 
He had treated his wife as a second class citizen and hadn't even recognized it. And he repented. He said, it's much more important for me to have my wife than sleeping in a round bed or whatever. You know, I don't care. I don't, I'll sleep in a round bed. He confessed and he went to his wife and he confessed and he said, I'm sorry. I haven't realized this. This is a, I, I, I just didn't even know how I was and how you must have been feeling all these years. And I'm so, so sorry. He repented and he confessed and healing started to flow. Forgiveness was given. Forgiveness was received. And then the next part, bringing forth fruit worthy of repentance. Two things back it up here where where it says uh, uh, forgiveness given. It's implicit in this understanding that this ends the matter and that it will not be brought up any more. Just as uh, uh, it says, uh, I even I am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That's the way it is. We don't put that. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna put this on on, on the deportment card here and file it back. And then if you ever misbehave again, we're going to pull up this one and this one and this one. It reminds me of the deal other I read not long ago about the, the woman or no, it was the, the husband that said, uh, my wife asked if she had any glaring faults. And then she got all huffy during the slide presentation. <laughs> we don't keep records. The law, love doesn't keep a record of wrong, it says. We're not supposed to keep a list. When you forgive it, it's gone. It's over. You don't bring it up again next week. You don't bring it up. It's implicit that this is it. It's over. So uh, that's one thing. You don't bring it up anymore. It's over. Forgiveness is received. And then you move on. But then the offending party, and this is where it's so important, is supposed to bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. I think this is where this guy I'm telling you about messed up. I think he reverted back to his old ways because they wound up splitting up a couple of years later. I think either that or she couldn't let some things go. This is the crucial place, you see. You forget, you forgive, you forget. And then you're supposed to prove, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. That guy should have shown the next time there was an important decision to be made, that they made it together. And maybe, and I'd even talk to him about sometimes to show your spouse that you love her, you have to die to self. Sometimes if you love somebody, you need to let them have what they want. I think that's where he messed up. I think that's where things went wrong. But this is so important. Fruit worthy of repentance. Now, 
situations we've had to, I've had to talk through this, uh, especially with uh, guys who have been guilty of being unfaithful to their wives, who have been sneaking around in the past and seeing other women. How does a guy like that bring forth fruit worthy of repentance? And by that, I mean, how does he show his wife that he really is uh, uh, serious about this? And one of the ways that he does it is uh, whenever he's uh, calling home, is uh, he gets on a landline. He gets somewhere where it could be shown where he is and says, okay, I'm here right now and I'm going to be leaving. But somehow he can show or he takes a picture. Nowadays, even pictures, Photoshop, so even that. You've got to do something that lets people, that would let her know where he was at that moment that she was comfortable with. And then along the way, so that uh, he could, that she could be comfortable that he was where he said he was going and doing what he said he was going to do. And uh, so uh, fruit worthy of repentance. And as he tries and as he works and maybe even goes overboard on it and even gets to be a little bit uh, uh, sounding crazy about it. But uh, uh, he shows her that he's really serious about this. This is where so many people drop the ball. They never change. Many times what somebody wants to do when they're, when they're saying that they're wanting healing of the relationship, what they're really wanting to do is get things back the way they were. And that's not what it's all about. You don't want to go back the way things were. You've repented from past actions and you're not going to be repeating those past actions. So you're wanting to move on and your relationship should be better. Not the way it was before, but you move on into better. Forgetting what lies behind, I move on toward the high calling of Christ, Christ Jesus. We move on. So uh, those are the steps. And after you go through all those steps with a big thing or a little thing, you know what? Something else is going to come up because we're not perfect. And then you go through these steps again. Next week, we're going to be talking about anger. And uh, we're doing this backwards, kind of, because most of this stuff comes out of anger and comes into this and and then uh, uh, winds up where forgiveness has to be given, you know. So we're kind of going into this, backing into this. But the problem is so many households, on the outside, everything looks just great. We put up a good front and show everybody just what a great, uh, home and family we have. But then behind closed doors, there's yelling, there's hollering, there's meanness, there's barbs thrown at each other. And I think Paul said it well. He said, brethren, these things should not be. Well, there's a lot of meanness going on when the doors are closed in a house and that meanness shouldn't be taking place. And so in connection with uh, anger, we're going to be talking about meanness next week and so uh but this these are the steps you go through these steps and then like i said nobody's perfect so uh once this one thing's done it doesn't mean there's not ever going to be another thing but after a while it's amazing 
that if you keep going through this and you keep bringing forth fruit worthy of repentance, both of you are going to change. And as you're changing, you're going to change each other. And your marriage and your relationships are going to get better and better. And more and more what the Lord meant for them to be. Oh, I think that's a good place for us. Yeah, it's a real good place for us to stop today. And so uh, uh, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, as we uh, as we bow our heads for a mo- at this time, we pray that uh, you would just help us to even begin to see those places in our lives where maybe we have hurt others, where we've offended others, and help us to go to them and make amends. Give us insight and give us bravery and uh, give us uh, the words to say and the wisdom to bring healing in our relationships. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.